This morning we continue in our series called Stories That Read Us. And what we've been doing over the last couple weeks is looking at the stories that Jesus tells. Uh, They're called parables. And we've been seeing how they actually read us. They tell us about ourselves and they tell us about God. Today's story comes from Luke chapter 18. And that's what we're going to be exploring today. But I want to give you some background and some context before we jump in. The story is told uh, towards the end of Jesus' life. He's on his way to Jerusalem for the very last time. And as he's walking uh, with his disciples, there's this sense that there's a crisis coming. That that some big event is coming, that everything is kind of spearheading uh, and getting ready to to erupt. Uh, There... There was this idea, this feeling that the second coming of God's kingdom was about to come and it was going to come with power. And so the the Pharisees asked Jesus in chapter 17, when is the kingdom of God going to come? And Jesus launches into this end time speech and, and he says, look at how it was with Noah. Look at how it was with Lot. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage doing what they wanted, and then it happened just like that. He says that's how God's kingdom is going to come. And yet there, there, there was a sense that it was about to happen, that there, some crisis was about to come. You and I know what the crisis was. Uh, the crisis was the fact that Jesus got handed over, betrayed, suffered, and died on the cross. In addition to this sense of crisis, there was great division uh, in the country at the time. The Romans were uh, the main superpower. They, they ruled everything. And there was division between the Romans and the Jews. Uh, the Romans didn't like the Jews, and the Jews didn't like the Romans. They didn't like being controlled by the Romans. And so there was uh, this great uprisings happening all across the, the Holy Land from the Jews over the Romans. Rebellion. They were trying to get movements started to overthrow the Roman government. In fact, uh, a lot of the Jews thought that's that's what Jesus was doing. He was creating this movement to overthrow the Roman government. It wasn't, but that's what they thought. So there's a great division between the Jews and the Romans, uh, especially because the the Romans had different justice systems depending on who you were. They had a different justice system for the poor. They had a different justice system, system for the rich. They had a different justice system for the Romans and for the Jew. And the Jews just got tired of it. And they tried to overthrow and and rebel. In addition to that division, there was division within the Jewish people themselves. The Pharisees were kind of the the main leaders that everyone looked to, and yet uh, Jesus constantly called them out for being fake and hypocritical. They, They believed that they were morally superior to everybody else and that God loved them more than the average Jew. Jesus comes around and he starts preaching about grace, about mercy, about love, uh, about the the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and all of a sudden that silent majority starts following Jesus, and there becomes a, these two parties almost: the Jesus and his followers, and the Pharisees and and uh, their followers. Old guard versus this new guard, so to speak, in Jesus, and there's great division, and this division between the Jews, the divisions with the Romans and the Jews, it's. It's all coming to a head as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. And again, there's a sense of crisis. On top of all that, morality was going down the drain. And there was less and less God-fearing people. 
Does that sound like today? What I just described to you could be, if we took away Romans and the Jews, you've got America, right? There's great division. There's less and less morality. There seems to be different justice systems depending on who you are, your background, how much money you have, whether you're a politician or an average person in America, uh, depending on your race. There's a sense that there's different justice systems. There's a sense of division. There's a sense that some crisis is about to happen. And so what do you as a Christian do? What do I as a Christian do? We pray about it, right? We pray and we ask God for help. We ask God to bring unity. We ask God to to bring people back to Him. And so here's my question. Has He acted? Have your prayers been useful? If God hasn't acted, why should we continue to pray when he seems to be silent. This is what Jesus addresses in his story today in Luke chapter 18. Here's what he tells us uh, amidst the division with him, amidst uh, all the, the chaos and the immoral uh, immorality, the corruption. Here's the story he wants Christians to know. He says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in the town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. It's the end of the story. That's the story that Jesus tells right there. Pretty straightforward, right? Jesus tells the story of a widow. And during Jesus' time, widows were pretty helpless. Uh, they, a woman during the first century relied on her husband to take care of her needs. And as soon as that husband was no longer there, she was helpless. She couldn't just go and get and work because women didn't work. And so what she had to do was rely on her sons, and if her sons wouldn't take care of her, or if she didn't have any, she had to rely on the church. And so this woman's life has drastically changed because her husband has died. She's now a widow. And then, if that wasn't heartbreaking enough, someone took advantage of her. Somebody hurt her, somebody committed a crime against her, and she wanted justice. And she goes to the judge, and what does she find in a judge? Someone who doesn't fear God, nor cares about people. And he refuses to grant her justice. Why? Well, yes, he doesn't fear God. Yes, he doesn't care about people. But also remember the different justice systems. He's sitting there waiting uh, for a lump of money from her, for a bribe. If she could pay him, then he'd get her justice. What'd the woman have? Nothing but persistence. And she bothered him and bothered him and bothered him. Wore him out until finally he said, I'm going to grant her justice. It's kind of like Lily right now, my daughter. Uh, She loves dancing and she loves the Alexa. And uh, she only wants one song. 
and it's Can't Stop the Feeling by Justin Timberlake. And so we turn on other songs. We try to play other songs for her to dance to, and she will stop and point at the Alexa, and she will point and point and point until finally she just wears you out, and you say, fine, just play the song so that she can dance, and she stops wearing me out. (laughs) That's what this woman did to the judge. He didn't care about people. He didn't care about God, and yet she wore him out to the point where he said, I just want her to stop bothering me, so I'm going to grant her justice. This is the story that Jesus tells. And he wants us to learn three things from it. And he tells us in the uh, uh, application of it in verses 6 through 8. Here's what he says. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? Three things that Jesus says in this application that we can take away about persistence in prayer. And the first one is this. Be persistent in prayer because you're God's chosen. Jesus tells of this widow and, uh, who means absolutely nothing to the judge. The judge, she's unwanted by the judge. The judge doesn't care about her. The judge has... No reason to love her whatsoever. He doesn't love her, and yet he grants her justice because of how much she's bothering him. We we see this in in the courtrooms today. If you go to the court, you don't really mean anything to the judge. I don't mean anything to the judge. We're just another person. He doesn't know us. All he knows is a case that's laying before him. But when we go to God, we are not unwanted. We are dearly loved children of God whom he says are his chosen. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Ephesians 1 says that before the creation of the world, God knew us and he chose us in Christ Jesus to be his own. He chose you and me. That's who we are. This week I did a, a little research on uh, adoption. Do you know how much it costs to adopt a child in America from a private agency? On average, the whole entire process costs $43,000. Think about that. That's a pretty big cost. And yet mom and dad have decided in their heart that that cost is worth it. Before that child has done anything to deserve their love, before that child has done anything to earn his or her place in the house, those parents have decided that that one is worth the cost. They choose to love that one. They choose that one as their own, to love that child as their own, and they choose to care about that child. Your God, before the creation of the world, your Heavenly Father, chose you. Before you did anything to deserve his love, before you did anything to show that you deserve to be part of God's household, God said, I know you and I choose you and I'm willing to pay the price to have you. And that price was his son. It wasn't $43,000. The cost was Jesus. And yet God said, 
you are worth it. You see, when we approach God in prayer, we're not approaching some unjust judge. We're not approaching some, some judge that doesn't care about us. We are approaching the judge of the world who is also your heavenly father who has chosen you to be his own. He loves you completely. He loves you dearly. He loves you so much that he paid the cost to have you, to adopt you as his son and his daughter. Jesus says, be persistent in prayer because you are God's chosen. You're not approaching some, some unwanted, uh, unloving God who doesn't want you. You are approaching the God of the world who loves you and cares about what's on your heart. The second thing we learn from Jesus here is be persistent in prayer because God will grant justice. Here's what he says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Jesus says, be persistent in prayer because God will bring about justice and he'll do it quickly. Now, some of you are saying, I don't know about that. Because some of you listening today or watching, you have been praying for days. You've been praying for weeks. You've been praying for years that God would bring justice or that God would answer your prayer. And he hasn't. And so it would be great if God answered quickly. But he just doesn't. We've been waiting. You've been waiting. You've been waiting for God to get justice on the person who accused you of false things. You're waiting for God to bring justice as you were blamed for his mistake and it's come out that you were blamed and yet he hasn't apologized to you. you. You're waiting for justice for those who have criticized you for being Christian or who've looked down on you for being Christian. You're waiting for God to answer your prayers that more and more people would, would turn back to God, that morality would be back here in America, that, that more people would turn to Jesus and believe and yet it's just not happening. And so, what is Jesus talking about? How, how could it, it, quickly, what do you mean? What do you mean? And so when God doesn't answer your, your prayer quickly, when, when days go by, when weeks go by, when months go by, what do we end up doing? Instead of praying persistently, we say, that doesn't work, and we take matters into our own hands. Now, there, there are definitely times when Christians need to act, and, and we do need to, to, to act and we can't just sit back. God has equipped us to, to handle things in our life. However, oftentimes it's one or the other, isn't it? Either we're sitting and praying or we say that doesn't work and we're acting. And why do we get to that point? Well, because God isn't answering our prayers quick enough. It's like, I've used this illustration before, but it's like Amazon Prime. We, we put in our request and, and we submit it, and two days later, we expect it to be here. And, and when it's not, we say, God, what happened? Did you send it to the wrong address? Uh, did you forget about it? Did, did, did I place my request, and then all of a sudden, you, you ran out of what I was asking for? And so we say, you know what, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to request again. And so we submit another request, and we wait for, for two days. And when the third day comes, we say, well, prayer must not work. 
Prayer must not work because look, I've waited now a total of five days and God hasn't responded. I could have had two or three Amazon packages by this time. And so we put prayer away and say it doesn't work. Because God's not quick enough. And yet notice what Jesus says. He's going to get justice quickly, but he also says, Will not God bring about justice for those who cry out to him day and night? Who cry out to him. It's a present active. It's continued action. We're continuing to cry out to him day and night. God will bring justice. And quickly. It just may not be the way and the timetable that we want him to. Peter reminds us uh, uh, of something that we should keep in mind with all this, and it comes from 2 Peter 3, 8, 9. He says, With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone come to repentance. God wants us to pray persistently to him, day and night, pray continually, day and night. And he promises that justice is going to come, and when it does, it's going to come like Noah, it's going to come like Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, it's going to come just like that, and it'll be here. But until then, it doesn't mean that God's not working. God is patient. The people that you want justice from, God is patient, and he wants them to come to repentance as well. God's going to get you justice, whether it's here today, whether it's tomorrow, 50 years from now, or maybe the justice that you are going to see is the day when you enter heaven, when the end of the world comes and and justice reigns. That day you'll be vindicated for eternity. But that then leads to this question. If God's going to get justice on his timetable and not on mine, why bother pray? Why keep being persistent in prayer? It's found in what Jesus says in the very last verse. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What happens to your faith and my faith when we determine that uh, that praying doesn't work? Our faith dwindles, starts to crack, and eventually it'll crumble. And Jesus says, when we decide that prayer doesn't work, will there be faith anymore? Or will we give it up? And so Jesus wants us to be persistent in prayer. Why? It's your last point. Be persistent in prayer, trusting the process of prayer. The process of prayer. Yes, God delays our prayer sometimes, but it doesn't mean that God's not working. Our requests go before God. God knows what we want. And yet sometimes he delays. And through that process, he's working on our hearts. There's a big uh, uh, phrase in, in, base, or in baseball, in sports in general right now, called trust the process. Trust the process. Trust the process. When, when a GM, a general manager, is building his team, he tells everyone, trust the process of drafting young guys, and the young guys come up, and, and they're good, and they can build the team. Trust the process. When an athlete is training, They do the little things and practice, trust the process, because those little things, when they're perfected, grow to be big things and make a huge impact. In our prayer lives, 
we need to trust the process of prayer. What do I mean by that? Well, as we pray and we come to God and we're persistent in it, and it's going through this process of praying and praying and praying, that process is working on our hearts. Sometimes God delays our prayers, and for good reason. Sometimes He delays them to to rub off the selfishness of our request. Sometimes He delays our prayers so that our hearts long for heaven more than earth. Sometimes He delays our prayers because He knows that we will treasure whatever we are asking for more if we have to wait for it. Sometimes He delays our prayers because if He just grants our prayers one right after another, it's going to create spoiled children. Sometimes He uh, delays our prayers because perseverance. He wants to develop perseverance in us. Because perseverance, the Bible says, leads to character. And character leads to hope. You see, when we go to God and and we ask for something, just because He's not granting it tomorrow doesn't mean that He's not working. He's working behind the scenes on our heart, developing us, growing us. And if we trust that, God will strengthen our faith. And so as we go to God and we're persistent in prayer, let's not just ask for what we want. Continue to do that. But then also ask, God, as I'm waiting for you to answer that request, What are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to help me grow? And as we do, we'll watch as our faith blossoms. And then when Jesus says, will he find faith on earth? Yes. Yes, he will. As we trust that process of prayer. And as we do this, where does our confidence come from? How do we know that God hears our prayers? How do we know that God will answer? How do we know that justice will happen? It's because of the greatest unanswered prayer. If you remember when Jesus was on the cross, he he prayed one of the most heart-wrenching prayers. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You want to talk about an injustice. Jesus, the God of this world, the innocent Son of God, dies as one of the worst of the worst criminals as he takes on your sin and my sin and the sins of the world. He willingly and graciously dealt with that injustice, took that on and prayed to God and was unanswered so that you and I will get justice and you and I will never have a prayer that goes unanswered from God. He hears it and he will always answer our prayers and he will work on our hearts through the process of prayer. And so be persistent. Continue to go to God again and again and again, trusting that you are his chosen one trusting that he will get justice and trusting that through the process of prayer, God is growing you, working you, and and growing your faith in him as your savior. May God bless you with this today and tomorrow. And as that process goes, develop your faith again and again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a just God. You are a God that cares about us, that gets justice but is also loving and patient. Not only with uh, the people around us, but also with us. You're loving and patient and you want to develop us and grow us uh, and, and help us to grow closer to you and to be more like Jesus, our Savior. And so as we come to you persistently in prayer, help us to trust that we are your chosen. Help us to trust that you will get justice. And help us to trust that through the process as we're waiting for our prayers to be answered, you are working on us every single day. 
Continue to be with us, motivate us to persistently pray to you and be connected to you always. We ask all this in Jesus' name. It's in his name that we join to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.